Welcome to the Terry Podcast, Tales from Near and Far, read to you by Pratam Data. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens, read to you by Pratam Data. Chapter 4 England under Athelstan and the Six Boy Kings, Part 2. At first, Elfrida possessed great influence over the young king. But, as he grew older and came of age, her influence declined. The infamous woman, not having it in her power to do any more evil than retired from court, and according to the fashion of the time, built churches and monasteries to expiate her guilt. As if a church with the steeple reaching to the very stars would have been any sign of true repentance for the blood of the poor boy whose murdered form was trailed at his horse's heels. As if she could have buried her wickedness beneath the senseless stones of the whole world, piled up one upon another for the monks to live in. About the ninth or tenth year of this reign, Dunstan died. He was growing old then, but was as stern and artful as ever. Two circumstances that happened in connection with him in this reign of Ethelred made a great noise. Once he was present at a meeting of the church, when the question was discussed where the priest should have the permission to marry, and as he sat with his head hung down, apparently thinking about it, a voice seemed to come out of a crucifix in the room and warn the meeting to be of his opinion. There was some juggling of Dunstan's and was probably his own voice disguised, but he played off a worse juggle than that soon afterwards. For... Another meeting being held on the same subject, and he and his supporters being seated on one side of a great room, and their opponents on the other, he rose and said, To Christ himself as judge, do I commit this cause. Immediately on these words being spoken, the flow where the opposite party sat gave way, and some were killed and many wounded. may be pretty sure that it had been weakened under Dunstan's direction, and that it fell at Dunstan's signal. His part of the floor did not go down. No, no, he was too good a workman for that. When he died, the monks settled that he was a saint, and called him Saint Dunstan ever afterwards. They might just as well have settled that he was a court horse and could just as easily have called him one. Ethelred the Unready was glad enough, I dare say, to be rid of this holy saint, but left to himself. He was a poor, weak king, and his reign was a reign of defeat and shame. The restless Danes, led by Swain, 
a son of the King of Denmark, who had quarrelled with his father and been banished from home, again came to England and year after year attacked and despoiled large towns. To coax these sea kings away, the weak Ethelred paid them money, but the more money he paid, the more money the Danes wanted. At first, he gave them £10,000. On the next invasion, £16,000. On the next invasion, four and £20,000. To pay with sums, the unfortunate English people were heavily taxed. But, as the Danes still came back and wanted more, he thought it would be a good plan to marry into some powerful foreign family that could help him with soldiers. So, in the year 1002, he courted and married Emma, the sister of Richard, Duke of Normandy, a lady who was called the Flower of Normandy. And now, a terrible deed was done in England, the like of which was never done on English ground before or since. On the 13th of November, in pursuance of secret instructions sent by the king over the whole country, the inhabitants of every town and city armed and murdered all the Danes who were their neighbours. Young and old, babies and soldiers, men and women, every Dane was killed. No doubt there were among them many ferocious men who had done the English great wrong, and whose pride and insolence in swaggering in the houses of the English and insulting their wives and daughters had become unbearable. But no doubt there were also among them many peaceful Christian Danes who had married English women and become like English men. They were all slain. Even to Gunhilda, the sister of the King of Denmark, married to an English lord who was first obliged to see the murder of her husband and her child, and then was killed herself. When the King of the Sea Kings heard of this deed of blood, he swore that he would have a great revenge. He raised an army and a mightier fleet of ships that ever yet had sailed to England. And in all his army there was not a slave or an old man, but every soldier was a free man and the son of a free man and in the prime of life and sworn to be revenged upon the English nation. For the massacre of that dread 13th of November, when his countrymen and countrywomen and the little children whom they loved were killed with fire and sword. And so, the sea kings came to England in many great ships, each bearing the flag of its own commander. Golden eagles, ravens, dragons, dolphins, Beasts of prey threatened England from the prows of those ships as they came onward through the water and were reflected in the shining shields that hung upon their sides. 
the ship that bore the standard of the king of the sea kings was carved and painted like a mighty serpent. And the king in his anger prayed that the gods in whom he trusted might all desert him if the serpent did not strike its fangs into England's heart. And indeed it did. For the great army landing from the great fleet near Exeter went forward laying England waste and striking their lances in the earth as they advanced or throwing them into rivers in token of their making all the island theirs. In remembrance of the black November night when the Danes were murdered, wheresoever the invaders came, they made the Saxons prepare and spread for them great feasts. And when they had eaten those feasts and had drunk a curse to England with wild rejoicings, they drew their swords and killed their Saxon entertainers and marched on. For six long years, they carried on this war, burning the crops, farmhouses, barns, mills, granaries, killing the labourers in the fields, preventing the seed from being sown in the ground, causing famine and starvation, leaving only heaps of ruin and smoking ashes where they had found rich towns. To crown this misery, English officers and men deserted, and even the favourites of Ethelred the Unready, becoming traitors, seized many of the English ships, turned pirates against their own country, and aided by a storm, occasioned the loss of nearly the whole English navy. There is but one man of note at this miserable pass who was true to his country and the feeble king. He was a priest and a brave one. For twenty days, the Archbishop of Canterbury defended that city against its Danish besiegers, and when a traitor in the town threw the gates open and admitted them, he said in chains, I will not buy my life with money that must be extorted from suffering people. Do with me what you please. Again and again, he steadily refused to purchase his release with gold wrung from the poor. At last, the Danes, being tired of this, and being assembled at a drunken merrymaking, had him brought into the feasting hall. Now, Bishop, he said, we want gold. He looked round on the crowd of angry faces, from the shaggy beards close to him to the shaggy beards against the walls, where men were mounted on tables and forms to see him over the heads of others, and he knew that his time was come. I have no gold, he said. Get it, Bishop, they all thundered. That I have often told you, I will not, said he. They gathered close around him, threatening, but he stood unmoved. Then one man struck him, then another. Then a cursing soldier 
picked up from a heap in the corner of the hall, where fragments had been rudely thrown at dinner, a great ox bone, and cast it at his face, from which the blood came spurting forth. And others ran to the same heap, and knocked him down with other bones, and bruised and battered him, until one soldier whom he had baptised, willing, as I hope for the sake of the soldier's soul, to shorten the sufferings of the good man, struck him dead with his battle-axe. If Ethelred had had the heart to emulate the courage of this noble archbishop, he might have done something yet. But he paid the Danes £48,000 instead, and gained so little by the cowardly act, that Swain soon afterwards came over to subdue all England. So broken was the attachment of the English people by this time to their incapable king and their forlorn country, which could not protect them, that they welcomed Swen on all sides as a deliverer. London faithfully stood out, as long as the king was within its walls, but when he sneaked away, it also welcomed the Dane. Then all was over, and the king took refuge abroad with the Duke of Normandy, who had already given shelter to the king's wife, once the flower of that country, and to her children. Still, the English people, in spite of their sad sufferings, could not quite forget the great Alfred and the Saxon race. When Sven died suddenly, in little more than a month after he had been proclaimed King of England, they generously sent to Ethelred to say that they would have him for their king again. If he could only govern them better than he had governed them before. The unready, instead of coming himself, sent Edward, one of his sons, to make promises for him. At last he followed, and the English declared him king. The Danes declared Canute, the son of Sven, king. Thus, direful war began again, and lasted for three years when the unready died, and I know of nothing better that he did in all his reign of eight and thirty years. Was Canute to be king now? Not over the Saxons, they said. They must have Edmund, one of the sons of the unready, who was surnamed Aronsard because of his strength and stature. Edmund and Canute therefore fell to and fought five battles. Oh, unhappy England, what a fighting ground it was. And then Ironside, who was a big man, proposed to Canute, who was a little man, that they should fight it out in single combat. If Canute had been the big man, he would probably said yes. But being the little man, he decidedly said no. 
However, he declared that he was willing to divide the kingdom to take all that lay north of Watling Street, as the old Roman military road from Dover to Chester was called, and to give Ironside all that lay south of it. Most men being wary of so much bloodshed, this was done. But Canute soon became sole king of England, for Ironside died suddenly within two months. Some think that he was killed, and killed by Canute's orders. No one knows. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, please comment and please like it and subscribe. Please do let me know if there are certain tales from whichever part of the world you might be in that you would like me to read. Thank you.